The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about the most anticipated movies of the year. Amanda and I are picking the movies we're most looking forward to in 2022, from Top Guns to Batman. But before we do that, let's talk about a couple of our heroes. The first one, of course, is Steven Soderbergh, one of our favorite filmmakers who released an annual event. It's his Scene Red list. A couple of days ago, he dropped it. This is the list of all the movies and TV series and books and sundry things that he engaged with in 2021. Amanda, this is a holiday for us. What would you think mm-hmm. of old Steven's list this year? I do this every year, but let me just reiterate that Steven Soderbergh is the guy for me. This is <laughs> this is my king. And we know this. And this is true as a filmmaker, but also as a consumer of culture. I was gobsmacked by his list of books because I'm not going to lie. I own 90% of the books on this list. I don't know why Steven Soderbergh's reading interests are also 30s, 30-something like literary fiction, mostly written by women, plus like cheesy mystery novels. But that's my taste. And that's also Steven Soderbergh's taste. Like my husband read it and was like, how do we have all of these books? And he was like, are, like, are you on some list with Steven Soderbergh? And it's just like, no, it's, you know, two people who... in operate independently in the world, but like really have a mind meld. And that's me and Steven Soderbergh. I don't know what to say. Are you a threat to Jules Asner and and, and their wonderful marriage? (laughs) It is funny when you read these to like imagine what Jules Asner is doing. As Chris Ryan pointed out, like is Jules watching every episode of Dateline? You know, (laughs) I'm not watching Dateline. If I were with Steven Soderbergh, maybe I would. Just I'm curious what the appeal is there. But Let's 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 shout out a couple of highlights from from Soderbergh's list. Uh, obviously, every year I use this as a way to either get a sense of what movies he's watching to prepare for another film, or understand what films he thinks are classics. And there are a number of movies that recur over the years. Here, Mad Max Fury Road makes another appearance on this list. One of his favorite movies. He's talked about it at length. But then there's also these odd pockets of time. I just want to spend a little time highlighting how Soderbergh spent his Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Sure. So on November 24th, he watched OnlyFans colon Selling Sexy, which I believe is a TV documentary series about OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. Love it. From the man who made Sex, Lies, and Videotape, yeah, how perfect can it be? Yeah, of course he did. Sure. Fantastic. He followed that up the following day with, which I believe was 
Thanksgiving Day with the Beatles Get Back Part One mm-hmm. and the South Park COVID special. I did think of you when I read that day. A- absolute fucking king. Yeah. This guy, that, that's the thing that is wonderful about his taste is he consumes it all. I see myself in a very similar vein. It's very important to watch the nine-hour Beatles film. It's also very important to watch the South Park COVID special. He followed that up with more, more Beatles. Um, he watched Alice in the Cities, a movie that I've been thinking about a lot. This is a Vim Vendors movie. It's the first uh, movie in the Vim Vendors travel trilogy. It's a, a, a very small inspiration for the name of my daughter, Allison Cities, which is about an, oh, older, really? an older, bedraggled man kind of t- going through a city with an eight-year-old girl, a very you know, cute, uh, blonde, eight-year-old girl. And so I was like, oh, fucking, of course, Stephen is, is all about this Vin Vendors movie that I love. Um, and, and then he followed that up with my favorite TV show of 2021, How To With John Wilson. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, every time I look at this list, I'm, I, I feel a kinship just like you do. I have not read much of this literary fiction written by women, but in our viewing habits, he and I are very similar. And also cheesy mysteries. Let me just highlight two days. December 9th, he saw the new West Side Story and also read A Line to Kill by Anthony Horowitz, <laughs> which I have also read. It's the late Anthony Horowitz just churns out all these books every year. They're, I mean, they're very cute. I enjoy them. And then what did he do on Christmas Day? He watched A Hard Day's Night. I just... Mm. Very That's his special. hero, his hero, Richard Lester. Very special. Yeah, he's the best. Well, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, it's on his website, extension765.com. You can go through all the lists over the years, and if you're just looking for inspiration or something to discover, I, I feel like I have a handle on almost every movie that's been made by uh, American filmmakers in the last hundred years, and every year he shows me new movies I've never heard of or never thought to watch. So it's always a treat. Let's go to another hero. I'm talking about Ben Affleck. New Ben Affleck movie. Mm-hmm. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's called The Tender Bar. This is a movie that is based on the 2005 memoir by J.R. Moringer. If you are interested in that book, if you've read that book, if you are uh, are familiar with J.R.'s work, I encourage you to check out the episode of The Press Box that Brian Curtis recorded last week, a long conversation with J.R., who's a great writer. Um, Interesting book that I also read because I... I You're from Long Island? I see a bit of myself in J.R.'s story. I'll leave it at that. Um, But this is an adaptation directed by George Clooney written by the uh, Academy Award-winning screenwriter William Monaghan. He wrote The Departed. And it's a bit of an old-school, coming-of-age story. Um, I would say it has been released somewhat mutedly by the, by the film press. Uh, I, I, I've been thinking about this, and before we get into the details of it, I just want to say I feel like this, maybe this is my being the Ricardos this year. Okay. Where I'm like, I know this is not a great film, but there are a lot of things about it that I, I can't resist. Did you watch The Wonder Years growing up? I certainly did. Also sure. based on a person who grew up on Long Island. Yes, exactly. I have not seen the new, the remake of The Wonder Years that I believe is currently airing on ABC. But I did watch a lot of Wonder Years growing up. Terrific show. And I, George Clooney basically made an episode of The Wonder Years. Mm. Uh, which, sure. I mean, George Clooney has made a, a far worse decisions in the director's chair than remaking an episode of The Wonder Years, sort of, with Ben Affleck. Is it serious cinema? Not really. Is it pleasant? Absolutely. It is. Does it feature like 40 minutes of Ben Affleck just capping off an absolutely amazing year? Yes, it does. <laughs> Let's just put a little quick summary around the movie. So it's a, it's essentially a story about a, a young boy who grows up without a father, whose father is a a disc jockey in New York whose name, who's known as The Voice. And so he has this awareness of his father and he can hear his father, but he has real, no real relationship with him. And he grows up in this kind of ramshackle house with his mother and his grandfather and uh, his uncle, Uncle Charlie, who is played by Ben Affleck. And Uncle Charlie is a bartender and 
the young boy in this film, the JR character, spends a lot of time at that bar. He becomes a man in that bar. He meets a lot of, uh, I don't know, unseemly, but also wizened figures in that space. And he learns Mm -hmm. about how to talk like a man. He learns about sports. He learns about books. This is one of those literary bars. You know, I I always imagine that these places are not real. I I spent a lot of time in bars growing up as a kid. You know, my father, police officer, had to go to a lot of cop bars. Not a lot of talk about Charles Dickens in those bars, if I'm being perfectly (laughs) honest. A lot of talk about you know, the starting lineup for the for the New York Mets or the New York Knicks. But um, I thought that this was a very self-conscious attempt to make a nice movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i okay with that. I'm okay with um, a modest ambition. You know, the last movie that Clooney directed, The Midnight Sky, for Netflix was a very big and kind of bold science fiction story. It was only about a couple of characters, but it was trying to have as a massive a reach as you could possibly have. And this is a way scaled down sort of thing, something that you could clearly pull off during COVID. And I think it's like, it's not quite a wallpaper movie, but it's close. You know, like, do you have any albums that you put on where you're just like, I don't, it's not that you need to zen out, but you need to just like recall a good feeling in your life. It has that kind of a feeling for me. Yeah. It's like I said, I do think it is sort of more watchable at home just like, cause it has the TV kind of soothing aspects. And it did remind me of like the nostalgia of wonder years, which by the time I made it to wonder years was was nostalgia. I wanted to ask you about the Long Islandness of it all because mm, yeah. my understanding is that the original text is like a very Long Island text. I was told something about trying to get on the 119 train. I don't know whether that means anything to you. Is that the it right doesn't. time? I don't know what that is. I'd, 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 apparently, that's that was the central train for making it home before bars closed on Long Island. Oh, that makes sense. Well, there's all sorts of lines on the Long Island Railroad. Yeah. So- so JR, getting um, to Manhasset, apparently. Yeah, yeah. He grew up in Manhasset, which is where I was born, actually. Right. Um, so I've spent plenty of time in Manhasset. And um, I, you know, I, I think it's like a fairly accurate reflection. This JR is older than I am, and so his experience of Long Island is a little bit uh, before my time, but it feels pretty familiar. I mean, going to the beach, going to Mets games, like that's what you do, and going to bars in the middle yeah. of the day. That's what kind of kind of what a lot of the lifestyle is for Long Islanders. One of the, one of the reasons I left, honestly. I'm not not much of a beach person, as you know. Um <laughs> So I moved all the way out to California. Uh, But I I thought it was like a pretty good representation of single motherdom and the challenges of single motherdom. Um, And Lily Ray plays the the mother figure in the movie. And uh, I have a a kind of overwhelming respect for single moms. And Mm -hmm. you can see that like her engagement with her son, who is this, you know, kind of like aching to be grown and sophisticated kind of kid, but who is trapped in this kind of fatherless existence. Um, and she's trying to help him, but she doesn't really know how to help him. And she's also trying to just make rent and be able to put food on the table for her kid and kind of working like secretarial jobs. Um, I thought that aspect of it was really good. I thought the movie kind of got away from itself when the JR gets a little bit older and then Ty Sheridan kind of takes over as the older version yeah. of JR. And, you know, the book I think is quite good about telling JR's story about how he became a journalist and how he sort of went out into the world as an aspiring writer. I don't think the movie seems as interested in that, and it doesn't seem to be spending as much time on that stuff. So it's kind of like a little bit of a soggy and, and muddled second half. But um, I just I really liked the parts of it that were more like young kid growing up on Long Island. Obviously, my biases are on the forefront right. here. Also, once he grows up and goes to quote New York, which was the most Boston New York of all time. They tried, they, like at one point, he's having coffee on, quote, West 4th Street. And I was like, sir, that is not the city of New York. We all know you filmed this in Boston. But anyway, the the other problem is that 
once he moves away from the family, which is kind of like the animating energy of the film, he also moves away from Ben Affleck. And I just have to tell you, like, this is a tremendous supporting performance. Your guy shows up, just does movie star stuff, steals every moment from everybody. Real presence, real warmth. It was completely delightful. We talk about uh, certain movie stars getting older and whether or not they should pivot to a different kind of lane as an actor. You know, actually, last night, Bill Simmons and I were texting about Roy Scheider, the great Roy Scheider. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about uh, maybe some movies to do on the rewatchables in the future. And Roy Scheider, object of fascination for me, for just, for Chris, for Bill. Um, it, well, like, it really is what you guys are like, that on just yes. a random weeknight, you guys just are just texting about Roy Scheider. That is what it's like to know these guys. I mean, God bless him. But, you know, he, he waited too long to pivot into character acting. You know, yeah. he had kind of a tough 1980s because he got a little too craggy and, and a little too unbelievable as a credible leading man. Ben Affleck, this year, the last duel, possibly the funniest performance of 2021. Mm-hmm. And now this, I think, really genuinely one of the more affecting and effective castings and executions of uh, what is like basically a trope character, you know, like the yeah. the surrogate father figure who has a lot of wisdom and has a sense of masculinity and is teaching a young boy how to be in the world. It's kind of like a real nice chewy part for a guy in, in Affleck's range. And he crushes it, you know, like he's just every time he's on screen, you feel like you're in a different movie. And I wonder if that's where he's going to go going forward. Obviously, we know Deepwater is coming and maybe we'll talk a little bit about Deepwater in this episode. But um, after Deepwater, I don't know. I, what what kind of movie star does Ben want to be? Well, he does seem to have a couple of projects like percolating for director mode, which he still wants to do. Also, does he have to be the Batman again? Is he coming back? I think he has to make an appearance in one more film, but I don't think it's going to be like a real okay. showcase role. It's it's not going to be like a Batman's pointing at each other situation. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, now you've you've sparked my imagination with that. Well, I mean, imagine the possibilities here. We got Michael Keaton, right? We got Val Kilmer. We got Clooney. Just, we got oh Affleck. It really is. Now we got Pattinson. They should do that, not for the comics, but just for me. You know, just that put them would all in be- a room. Just, yeah. What if, what if rather than pointing at themselves, you stood in the center and they all pointed at you? Would you I enjoy that? I would find that, that overwhelming. <laughs> oh, and Bobby just pointed out Christian Bale. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, who we Bale. totally disrespect. Well, yeah, some of my yeah. Nolan bias uh, coming through there that I had I forgotten so. about the most successful Batman. <laughs> it, like, it is a really extraordinary group of people. Uh, I'm a fan of all of them. And then they all had to play like this rinky dink Hamlet anyway and wear weird suits. You know, Amanda, just as we were talking about the tender bar, some news came across the transom here that we'd be hugely remiss if we did not mention, which is that the the filmmaker, Peter Bogdanovich, one of the most important figures in the new Hollywood, one of my favorite writers and directors, has uh, passed away. Uh, Very sadly. Yes. Very sorry to hear it. Um, Bogdanovich, definitely one of those um, keyhole figures for me who, when I first started seeing his movies and started reading the books that he wrote and some of the books that were written about him, I think turned me on to a lot of movie history from Roger Corman movies to screwball comedies to the great works of John Ford. Um, I would recommend really any of his movies because I think they're all fascinating, but he opens his career with one of the all-time incredible runs. He makes a very, very small, uh, low-budget, kind of thriller Corman picture called Targets in 1968 follows that up in 1971 with The Last Picture Show, which is one of the most celebrated, beloved, and greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, then he makes What's Up Doc with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill and just an amazing screwball comedy. And then he makes Paper Moon, 
a delightful period piece about a father and a daughter starring Ryan O'Neill and his daughter Tatum O'Neill. Um, and then he goes into this fascinating period in the 1970s where he makes a s- series of flops that are have been these objects of uh, fascination and reclamation and cause for concern over the years. Bogdanovich is a not uncomplicated character in movie history. Uh, he's somebody who idolized the great men of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, particularly figures like John Ford and, and Orson Welles. Who had who became a kind of Wells esque figure himself? Married Sybil Shepherd, left his wife Polly Platt. You know their relationship, famously chronicled in a brilliant season of Karina Longworth's podcast uh, two years ago. You must remember this. Um, and Bogdanovich has a really long career. He's been he really made movies. I mean, his last film was 2014. She's funny that way, and he has been this idol to a a a new generation of filmmakers. You know, the Noah Baumbachs and the Wes Andersons and the Quentin Tarantinos have spoke quite lovingly about the work that Bogdanovich has done. And for me, he's also just a person who's like a great historian. You know, he wrote a couple of books that were so impactful for me for realizing the connectivity between what the 30s and 40s filmmakers were doing and how it influenced the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and now into today. He's a a linchpin figure. Um, I would recommend Who the Devil Made It over any of his books. It's such a good movie about you know, the Raoul Walsh's of the world, you know, the sort of genre filmmakers of the 40s who um, kind of led the way towards auteur filmmaking in the future. I'm saying a lot of stuff because this is a person who I've thought about a whole hell of a lot. But um, what are your thoughts yeah, on Bogdanovich's passing? I, I was going to say, obviously, a, a handful of absolutely stone-cold classics as a filmmaker. But I think particularly to our generation and to those of us who spend a lot of time in front of microphones or other public platforms like bloviating about movies. Not that he ever did, but an an early historian, an early like film like fan, not in the Marvel sense, but like a, in the enthusiast sense who certainly made studying and understanding the history and and seeking out those directors like a part of his life in a way that probably influenced a lot of us to be like, "Oh, I didn't I didn't know that you could do this. I didn't know that studying these things um and and talking about them a lot and being a film historian was also, you know, of like viable way to be. Beyond that, as you said, just like a tremendous figure himself in 70s Hollywood history. I recently reread part of Easy Rider's Raging Bulls, which, you know, as as a 70s film document is always exhilarating and has a lot of Peter Bogdanovich in him. But he could both, you know, do the work study the life and also manage to live some of the life simultaneously. So you got to hand it to him. He managed to do it all. Truly a a self-made person, a person who envisioned a life for himself and he sought it out. He tracked down so many filmmakers as a young guy in his 20s writing for Esquire to spend time with them, to learn from them. He tracked down actors that he wanted to be around and better understand. You know, he famously befriended people like Cary Grant when they were in their 60s and 70s right. and he was still in his 20s and 30s. He's an amazing mimic. He could he could do impressions of people so, so well. He's a great storyteller. There was a TCM podcast uh, about him and his his work um, uh, a few years back as well that I think is worth listening to. You know, I'm sure you've seen him wearing his his ascot and his, you know, pocket square and his big velvet coat in, you know, film history documentaries over the years. He's always, he was always available to talk about old Hollywood and and to hear, have his work celebrated too. He's got such a, a unique filmography. Like I think a couple of his movies have really been reclaimed over the years, particularly St. Jack, a great movie that he made with Ben Gazzara. And they all laughed, um, a 1981 movie that he made with Audrey Hepburn and Gazzara and also features Dorothy Stratton, who was his 
his partner um, who was tragically murdered. And so he also had this bizarre tabloids experience and this awful experience in his life where he lost someone that he cared for so deeply. So just a massive life, you know, like a huge amount of experience, but at the center of it at all times is movies. He was defined by his own movies, by the movies of others, by his love for the craft, by how he inspired people to go on and make great movies. Just a just a huge figure. There's very few people that you can compare him to over the last 75 years in American movies. So send the best to you know those who he survived by and uh watch his movies, you know, spend yeah. more time with 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 the Peter Bogdanovich and, and read the work or at least, you know, read read the histories like a, a, as you said, like a, a real character, a larger than life figure and like an end of an era, but really like an end of an era, like two eras ago, exactly. you know, who somehow yes. managed to like time travel. So, yeah. So well put. Thanks to Peter Bogdanovich for his work. Let's just take a quick break now and we'll get into the next segment. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. Let's talk about some other movies that uh, that we're going to most likely be checking out. I, I don't think there's any movies on either of our lists that I won't be watching. Yeah. Um, how'd you find doing this list? Because I felt like last year was so easy because everything rolled over from 2020 and it was like, we just have a freaking bonanza. Was it easy for you to come up with this list? Well, Sean, I found it a little hard because you just went through and picked out all the brand name directors and you're like, here's my <laughs> list. And then you were like, good luck, Amanda. Which is fine. I can get creative. And, you know, I'm ex- I'm excited about some movies other than the Letterbox 11 or whatever. But <laughs> you just, it's like, I, I don't know if you read through your list. It's pretty stupid. You're just like, here I go. Well, writing my little prestige list. What, what, like what, when you're excited about something, you're excited about something. This is good. about, this is about anticipation. I am genuinely anticipating all of the movies on my list. Sure. Is it a little bit of a cliche? Sure. Am I at peace with my my persona as a movie watcher? Yeah, I am. Um, okay. It's not as if your list is like some mind-blowing excavation of profound new filmmaker voices. I think with you all don't due respect. To, you don't need to be rude. It was <laughs> just like a little jarring when it came in. And I was like, oh, I see. So all like the Bombac is gone. The Scorsese's <laughs> gone. <laughs> The, like everything, you, the Damien Chazelle's gone. I the think Sarah Polly's gone. You could have negotiated the with Fincher, me. The Fincher obviously gone. 
you, I you weren't going to take the Fincher. You were that wasn't going to happen. I don't know. Fincher and Fastbender is like so dark that it's almost light lists. again. Why it, are like, you spoiling these lists so hard oh, right now? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, but you asked what my experience was like, and it was like, you know, coming to the buffet table and being like, cool. Sean took all the caviar that was supposed I, to be a garnish. <laughs> well, I left you with some Melba toast is what you're saying. That's just so yeah. rude to these wonderful films that you've chosen. I no, feel like your I'm list is great. I'm excited about them. I'm excited about them. Well, if, if there's one on my list as we're going through it where you're like, this was going to be mine, just sure. say so. You know, we sure. can share. Okay. I'm, not, I'm, not... I'm open to that. Okay. Do, do you want to start or should I start? Yeah, I'll start. What is my... I don't remember the order. You also put them in order, which we've never really done before. Just fucking rank them. What are we doing here? It's a podcast. Just <sighs> rank fine. that joint. I did. Okay. Speaking of George Clooney, my number 11, Ticket to Paradise. I don't know if you've heard about this. Written and directed by Al Parker, but what it really matters is that it stars George Clooney and Julia Roberts and is a romantic comedy of sorts. And they've been in Australia filming it over the holidays. Julia Roberts having a great time on the beaches of Australia. Australia has welcomed Julia Roberts and rejected Novak Djokovic, to which I say thank you to the the country of Australia. Your priorities are in order. And yeah, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. I'm I'm pleased. So I seem to recall you being a big fan of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again from 2018. Is that true? I did actually have a nice time. He, I mean, it's well, not good, but it's pretty funny. And at the end, they have Cher sing Fernando. Like, I don't know if you don't think that's funny in the context of a Mamma Mia sequel, then I don't really know what to say to you. Was that Ol Parker's directorial debut? No, it wasn't. He's directed a couple of other films, but smaller films. And uh, I don't know. Is this my tempo, this movie? I'm not sure. I do I do love Clooney and Julia Roberts. but And we should also say, I, I mean, there's like some plot about they're the younger generation that involves Caitlin Deaver, who you love. I do love Caitlin Deaver. Billy Lord, so sort of a book smart reunion. Oh, and then Luca Bravo, who's the hot chef from Emily in Paris, who was just not well served by the second season of Emily in Paris. Oh, sad. People weren't, you know, I don't think their priorities were in order. So I'm glad to see that he has made it to Australia with American royalty. Okay, Ticket to Paradise. It's got a plum October 21st release date. Yeah. Ho- hopefully by then the movie industry is not a shambles. Yeah. Uh, my number 11 is a movie that's coming out really freaking soon. It's called The Batman. Speaking of Batman, March 4th, directed by Matt Reeves, coming to you from Warner Brothers Pictures and not available on HBO Max, unlike so many other Warner Brothers movies over the last 12 months. You know, just really quickly on the Warner Brothers thing, I was looking at some of the data about like which Warner Brothers movies were the most watched on their platform mm-hmm. on the HBO Max mm-hmm. platform and uh it really was Mortal Kombat and Godzilla versus Kong like that mm-hmm. like they have just, just that's just the fact it's it wasn't Dune it wasn't Matrix Resurrections you know it, it certainly wasn't Judas and the Black Messiah or King Richard or Reminiscence a movie we never even talked about on this show oh yeah um and uh I don't that makes actually me that makes me feel actually a lot worse about all the other shit we've been talking about forget about Spider-Man's box office or whatever Mortal Kombat right the number that one we just have to live in video game world yeah, that's what yeah. It, that is what it means. It is what it means. I, I don't love it, but I really did like it when Godzilla punched Kong or Kong that, punched Godzilla or whatever. That was cool. That was good. Um, The Batman. There's no Godzilla, no Kong there, but there is a Batman. There's also a Riddler and a Penguin. And um, mm-hmm. I'm that, excited about this movie. I, I I mean, I'm like authentically, sincerely, like 14-year-old me excited about it. I, I feel like this franchise desperately needed to be shrunk down a bit. 
um, especially post Zack Snyder. And I'm a big fan of Reeves' movies. And I feel like Reeves basically pulled off miraculous work by making really good Planet of the Apes movies in the 2010s. Um, Interviewed him on the show in the past. I think he's a really thoughtful guy. Uh, He's been wanting to do this basically his whole life. Usually that works out. Not always, but usually. I've been into the trailers. The cast is incredible. Zoe Kravitz, my guy Paul Dano as the Riddler. That's incredible. Colin Farrell wearing all kinds of latex as the Penguin. And, you know, I'm hoping that it's like a genuine crime movie. I'm hoping it actually is the thing that they say, which is like it's more like heat than it is like Batman Forever. We'll see. We'll see. It's, like, it's also it's like eight hours long. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, is there a, has a runtime been issued? I thought it was like three hours or something, according to the I thought we've just given up on editing our our movies in general. Well, I can't say I love the movies. idea of a three hour Batman movie. I would I would love it. Two hour and four minute Batman movie. That seems like the right length. Okay. I mean, the Nolan movies were pretty bulky too. I feel like the the last two in particular were yes, both two and a half hours. Yeah, they just keep going. Yeah. Um, okay, but I mean, the what is there to say? I mean, we're going to do multiple episodes about the Batman on the big picture. It's it's a huge deal. It's arguably yeah. the biggest movie of the year. Um, okay, what's your number ten? It's Don't Worry, Darling, um, directed by Olivia Wilde, and you know, stars Florence Pugh, who we love, a retro set in the 50s sort of psychological romantic drama, as I understand it. Uh, But more importantly, this is where Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles got together, and Harry Styles is in this movie. And it's just one of those things where you got to see the source text, you know, when something this seismic happens in the celebrity movie star industrial space. It's like, and frankly, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is the Brangelina text, Mm. really underrated. Uh, Even though everyone said they had no chemistry at the time, I think they do. It's a pretty funny movie about marriage. So I'm excited for this movie on its own terms because I did like Booksmart and I'm a huge Florence Pugh fan and a huge Harry Styles fan, actually. But then I just am excited to see what all the fuss is about. A few few key figures in this movie that I'm excited about. One, my guy, Tim Simons. Who, oh yeah, who has a big role in this movie? That's which is right. I forgot. Re- about really that. exciting. Our pal, um, Nick Kroll, who I'm, I'm Team Kroll. Okay. And and Chris Pine, who I mean, yeah. he's like he's the lost chosen one. He's the guy who like never figured it out, but who is the greatest? So I'm pretty. I'm excited about this movie too. I feel like it's got great potential. I mean, we'll see if it's. It looks like it's going to be stylized to a fault, but you know what? When like some haughty so male author does that. I tend to give them a pass and I would probably give Olivia Wilde a pass for doing the same thing. So um, I'm looking forward to that one. And that's in the fall, right? Yes. Okay. My number 10 is a movie that I didn't think would ever happen. Not because I know really anything about this movie, but because I didn't think that the person who made this movie was ever going to make another movie. Uh, The movie I'm talking about is called Tar. And there's an accent over the A. All caps, Tar. If you have not heard of this movie, it's coming from Focus Features on October 7th. And it is directed by a guy named Todd Field, who fans of Eyes Wide Shut may know as Nick Nightingale, the piano player who either helps or betrays Tom Cruise, depending on your reading of that film, and who has directed two films, both of which I think are incredible, I guess, domestic dramas that also tip into tragic comedy. Uh, I'm talking about In the Bedroom and Little Children. Really, really like both of those movies a lot. And Field is considered an extremely serious deeply artistic person and one of the reasons why he hasn't made a movie in 15 years is because I think it's been very hard for him to get certain movies off the ground because he really holds to his vision Tar is happening I believe it's been shot it stars Kate Blanchett which is wonderful news also Nina Haas the German actress who is the star of a great film from 2017 called Phoenix also uh, Nomi Merlin 
from um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes. Uh, Hildur Guanadatir, who did the score for Joker, did the score for this film. Um, a lot of nice parts. I don't really know what this movie's about. I don't really want to know. It's one of those movies where I'm, I may not even watch the trailer because I've been so looking forward to a new Todd Field movie. So that's that's coming out this fall, I think. I, I hope. Maybe fingers probably. Crossed. Fingers yeah, I, crossed. I feel like we have to put an asterisk over every single thing at this point. It's been like, we'll see. Yeah. We're doing our best. We've done that on both of the last two versions of this episode over the last yeah. couple of years. And um, that was the right choice. Hopefully this year is a little bit more normal. Okay, what's your number nine? It's Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann Elvis biopic. Listen, this could be a disaster. Let's get that up front. It could just be a total disaster, but it could also be Baz Luhrmann doing an Elvis biopic in a way that I I am historically a fan of music biopics when they get things right, when they're not too cheesy. I also just have to note that Tom Hanks plays Colonel Parker. Uh, I believe he was filming this once again in Australia when he contracted COVID and started, you know, it wasn't Tom Hanks's fault, but that's when we all started to take it seriously. Tom Hanks yes. is doing well. I'm Did you very just blame relieved. COVID on Tom Hanks? No, I didn't. Okay. I want again to state my respect for the the country of Australia and also Tom Hanks. Okay. Um, but Tom Hanks has been in a lot of movies in the last eighteen months that we just like have not really talked about. I mean, you and I have tried, but they've all gone to Apple and they've been kind of small and confusing. If you don't understand like naval warfare. And so I'm glad for that Tom Hanks is going to be in a in a big studio movie again, going for it. Yes. I think we all deserve that. And this could be very fun. Austin Butler is playing Elvis. It like I said, could be a disaster, but you got to try things, you know? Austin Butler I feel like is very good casting. Um he was last seen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in which mm-hmm. he played Tex Watson. And if you just look at a picture of old Austin, you can you can see where they're going with the with Elvis. Yeah. Um, Baz Luhrmann is the most hit or miss filmmaker in the world to me. Yes. I, I half of his movies I think are absolutely captivating and brilliant, and the other half do not work for me at all. So this is a real real interesting one. You know, my um my stepmom's family is a, like a huge Elvis fans. They're like one of those families that like goes to Graceland and like has memorabilia and listens to the records okay. all the time. So, you know, when I was a kid growing up and going over to their homes for holidays and things, you know, not just Blue Christmas, but like the whole Elvis Christmas experience was always happening. You know, I, I feel like I have a deep understanding of Elvis mania because of my exposure to them. And I like Elvis just like any other person does. But I'll be curious to know if folks like my stepfamily buy into this because Baz you know he he can be divisive like he takes yeah. a hard stance on some of these stories you know Romeo and Juliet that's a that's a vision of a story that a lot of people have come to know so I'm I'm, I'm excited vision. for this one I thought you were going to say that your in-laws were related to um or your step family was related to Elvis somehow and I was pretty excited about that uh that is not the case okay wouldn't it be great if I was like my dad is Elvis I've, <laughs> I've learned I've traced my lineage and uh in 1978. And he's still alive. If you became like a total, <laughs> like unfilled yourself as a total conspiracy, Elvis conspiracy theorist on this podcast in the middle, it'd be great. Sounds like a good bit for when the, when the film comes out. Yeah. Uh, okay. My next pick is a movie called women talking. I remember when I first heard about this movie, I was at the Telluride film festival and I was, it was the, it was the welcoming introduction. And there were a handful of people who were not able to attend because they were making this movie. This is Sarah Polly's return to filmmaking. She hasn't made a movie in, 
gosh, I feel like it was, it's been six or seven years since, since she made a film. And it's been an even longer period of time since she made a scripted film. This movie is based on Miriam Toe's uh, uh, novel. And it stars Francis McDormand, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, and Jesse Buckley. And I, I mean, as, soon, as soon as I heard about it, I texted you a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's Claire Foy, your girl, Jesse Buckley, my girl, Francis McDormand, our girl, our, our woman, our, our, sure. our, our queen. Um, I wouldn't say that the description of this movie has me like <laughs> vibrating with excitement. So <laughs> Here's the premise. One evening, eight Mennonite women climb into a hayloft to conduct a secret meeting. For the past two years, each of these women and more than 100 other girls in the colony has been repeatedly violated in the night by demons coming to punish them for their sins. Yeah. So that sounds intense. It sure does. Uh, it certainly sounds quite metaphorical as well. Um, and claustrophobic. Certainly. Uh, but, you know, this is a movie that's produced by Plan B. That's Brad Pitt, Dee Dee Garner, Jeremy Kleiner's company. They very rarely miss. They have incredible taste. Sarah Polly proved herself to be an incredibly sophisticated and thoughtful filmmaker. Stoked about this movie. I think it's going to be really, really good. I think it's going to be a big deal come this fall. I would have put this on my list, but then it was on your list. You can't argue with that cast, even if like the I just am imagining them all. I don't totally know what traditional Mennonite garb is, but I'm just imagining them with hay bales like for a long period of time and then weird ghosts coming in. But it's fine. It doesn't matter. I trust Sarah Polly and I trust those four actors. I, I do, too. Um, it do- doesn't have to be fun to be great. That's the thing to keep in mind. Uh, OK, what do you got next? So we have two next. I have... Okay bros and i have fire island and i've paired these together because these are two queer romantic comedies that are going to be released bros has a release date in august and fire island is tbd on on hulu but hopefully it's like a summer thing so bros is directed by nicholas stoller but it is co-written and starring billy eichner who i just absolutely love and i i trust him and i miss his comedy I miss him yelling at people on the street, even though I know that's not something you can really do in a pandemic. So I'm glad he's safe, but very excited that he's getting this opportunity. And obviously Nicholas Stoller um, has a like pretty great history of directing studio S comedies he that we enjoy. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. And the other is Fire Island, which I will just read you. It is apparently inspired by Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which is just like an automatic check for me. I have watched <laughs> every single and read every single remake reimagination of Pride and Prejudice ever done, and I will continue to. But so it's written by and starring Joel Kim Booster, Bowen Yang, and Margaret Cho also co-star. And it's apparently going to be directed by Andrew Ahn, who directed Driveways, which you yeah. and I both like absolutely loved. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hoping that both of these are sort of the Palm Springs, like happiest season, fun, wherever you watch it, home or, you know, theater or streaming romantic comedies that I miss and that have, when they're done well, can still bring me great joy. But I'm excited for all of these people. I like it. Uh, I'm really excited just for any new Andrew on project. That's really cool. Uh, Also, I think is bros is bros an Apatow thing. Yeah, I think it is produced by. Yeah, so that that will be a different kind of a flavor. But you're right, Nicholas Stoller has a has a really good track record as a as a director. You know, so this is the guy who made Forgetting Sarah Marshall and, and Neighbors. So yeah. he's he's been there before. Um, okay, good one or good two, I should say. Okay, number eight. You mentioned this before. Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle is a new movie. Damien Chazelle. We have for, we we have forgotten the, the 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 greatness of the Wonderkin. The guy who made La La Land and The Flash and First Man. Yeah, it's been three years since First Man. Isn't that crazy? And that's true that First Man was sort of like a late. It was a little overlooked. 
Yeah. You know, and it has been three. Has it been four years? When did First Man come out? I believe it's 2018. Not oh to spoil God. any upcoming movie drafts that we might have. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I know. Yeah, you're right. It premiered at the Venice Film Festival on August 29, 2018. Almost four years yeah. since a new Damien Chazelle movie, which is that's kind of painful to think about. Um, obviously, I mean, he did work on a Netflix series in that time. Yes. And then there was a pandemic. So Babylon is the name of the movie. And another movie that I kind of don't want to know too much about, but it is essentially is a story of old Hollywood. And uh, it's a so it's a period piece. It stars uh, Margot Robbie. It stars Brad Pitt. It stars uh, Olivia Wilde, Flea, Max Michaela, Catherine Waterston. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of boldface names. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's a Damien Chazelle movie, so it's like there's very few filmmakers under forty five for whom new films are an event, and I feel like he is on that short list. Would you agree? Absolutely. Also, did you say that this movie stars Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie? I did. I did say that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've just been looking at set photos of Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, you know, in in period costume, getting in and out of cars. Sign me up. Uh, I'm very, very excited. Uh, also, Tobey Maguire is a producer on this movie and is appearing in the movie. So Toby, Tobey Maguire back. Is that is that a thing? Sure. Good for what? him. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I can, liked I liked he- what he was up to. Can he survive the scandal of Player X from Molly's game? Yes, he can. Okay. Well, Babylon, um, it's a Christmas movie. So that means it's an Oscar movie. Yeah. So expect to hear a lot about this movie over the next 12 months on the big yeah. picture. An Oscar movie about old Hollywood starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. This also would have been on my list, just so everybody knows. <laughs> you're really, you're, you're a little cranky about this that I nabbed all your faves. It's just... Who likes coming in second and just, you know, doing all the leftovers? You don't even eat leftovers, so you That's can't right. tell I me. Don't. I don't. I, I'm excited about all the movies on my list. I just want to say I'm also excited for Babylon. Okay. What's your number seven? So I feel like I'm jinxing my number seven because it's the news of it, like, broke late in the year and it was supposed to start filming in early 2022. Like, please, I hope that you still get to film. But it is called Beth and Don, and it is a movie written and directed by Nicole Hollis Center, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So sign me right up. I loved Enough Said. I think Enough Said is like one of the most underrated movies of the last 10 years. Very excited to see them reteam. Also, I will read you the, the logline. The film follows Beth, a New York novelist who is in an unbelievably happy marriage to Don, who loves her and supports her in every way. One day, when Beth overhears him admitting that he hasn't liked her writing in years, it threatens to undo all that's good in their lives. So, a domestic drama, but possibly comedy, about Julia Louis-Dreyfus having a nervous breakdown because she's a novelist and things. Like, just, yes. Yes, yes, sign me up. Wait, so Julia Louis-Dreyfus is playing Beth. Who is playing Don? I don't think that they've decided yet. Oh, no. What do you think it should be? Gosh, I haven't really thought about that. Because obviously the incredible pairing in Enough Said was between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and the late and James great James Gandolfini. So, you know, you really want somebody who can counterpunch with with. Well, JLD. it is also a little bit of, is it supposed to work out for these characters? Like, I would argue that it ultimately did. In Enough Said, you were rooting for them, at least. I don't know if mm-hmm. it worked out, but you were rooting for them. This may, or, not be that. this may be the opposite. Or this might be where it's supposed to be like a total smarm bucket. You know, Ben Mendelsohn was the star of the last Nicole Hall yeah. Center movie. I wonder if he oh, that would be great. Is, is that would in be contention because really you know he has a streak of unlikability that yeah. might might play well in something yes. like this. Uh, that's a great one. Nicole Hall Center, one of the great writers and directors. So I'm looking forward to that too. 
that's an A24 movie. Um, okay, I picked two for number seven as well because they're kind of paired in my mind. Uh, it's The Fablemans, which is coming out on Thanksgiving weekend from, of course, the great Steven Spielberg. We talked about this a little bit on our Spielberg episode around West Side Story. This is apparently the most personal movie that Spielberg has ever made. In fact, it's very much about his childhood and growing up in the shadow of his parents' divorce and his relationship with an uncle who's going to be played by Seth Rogen in this movie. And it is co-written by Tony Kushner and by Steven Spielberg. This is the first screenplay credit that Steven is taking since the film AI, which is also one of his most personal movies. Seems like a pretty big deal. I'm very Mm -hmm. excited about this. Uh, I think I've been kind of frustrated by the West Side Story discourse because I'm like, we need to bow down to this incredible filmmaker when he when he does something like this i find it interesting that at this phase of his life he's deciding to make a movie like this he very rarely makes movies that are overtly autobiographical he tends to shade them in a lot of metaphor and artifice like hook is an is definitely an autobiographical movie but it's also a movie about peter pan um this sounds like something that is pure autobio and that's pretty fascinating and letting putting putting your life in kushner's hands is also an an interesting (laughs) test um, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm pairing it with Armageddon Time, which is the forthcoming film from James Gray, friend of friend of the pod, and uh, someone whose movies I think I tend to spend more time thinking about than watching. Honestly, uh, they tend to like live with me for a long time. This is a movie also about uh, sort of James Gray's coming of age in Queens in the 1970s and 80s, and it has an amazing cast: Anne Hathaway, Anthony Hopkins, Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong was working on this film while um, going through some of that New Yorker profile. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. And this movie's coming out from Focus. Seems like in the fall, though I'm not totally sure. And it does seem like a little bit of a an aspect of this story is sort of like Donald Trump's incursion into New York, which is not to say that it's a movie about Donald Trump. I think it's more about what was happening to New York City at this time when James or someone like James was growing up. And thinking about the ways in which the city was sort of taken over once again by ill-seeming people. Um, I'm really excited for this. James obviously makes a very, uh, also a very sort of sophisticated, careful, patient kind of drama. And mm-hmm. this one sounds good. I'm looking forward to both of those. I, You know, it does feel like everybody's doing their Roma now. But that's nice that a generation does their Roma you're right. There is a there's a wave of I don't mind autobiographical storytelling. What would you, what would your autobiographical film be called? Oh Jesus! I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I am happy for you. I'm happy for everybody. Just keep doing what you're trying to do. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's your number six? Knives Out Two. Daniel Craig solving mysteries in Greek in Greece. Like yes, great. <laughs> They filmed on location in Greece. I followed Karina Longworth's Instagram story. It seems like she had a lovely summer. Can't wait to see what they turned out. No arguments from me. Hope everyone gets rich as hell from Netflix. Two thumbs up. Uh, I'm I'm good with it. Do you think Netflix is the right place? Is it an even better place for a Knives Out Probably. film series? Yes, because remember actually how Knives Out, I mean, Knives Out did very well at the box office, but it was like, Top of the streaming charts, especially in early pandemic, mm-hmm. for a very long time because it was that sort of, I don't want to say low stakes because I think it was like very clever, very well made. Obviously, these like whodunits are a special favorite of mine and also Ryan Johnson's and he like makes them with a lot of care, mm-hmm. but like deeply watchable. Um, and so people actually turn it on at home, which mm-hmm. 
not every film has to be that way, but I love a watchable film. So I, I think it's a good fit at Netflix. Also, Netflix actually sent people somewhere. Once again, film your movies on location, especially if it's a Greek island in the summer. Thank you. Uh, I can't argue with that. I'm excited for this one, too. I think it. the thing is, is like the film was very much designed to, to be a kind of Hercule Poirot or yeah. Miss Marple sort of story where there's just like a series of mysteries that will be, uns- that will be maybe solved, maybe not solved over right. a period of years. And obviously the production values are significantly higher than like those PBS or BBC films that, that you like and my wife likes and that I like. Okay. Um, you don't need to be rude about it. No, we all have our things. I have my stupid Batman movies and you have, you know, Miss Marple. It's okay. Um, I'm a Poirot person. Eileen's Miss Marple. She is Miss Marple. Which is like actually a great personality. It, like, it, it, it defines you both, truly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that it is a really good home for them because you could see a world in which you have literally 11 films over 25 years mm-hmm. in The Knives Out. Now, whether or not Ryan is directing all of those movies, I probably not. I hope he goes on to make other movies as well. That's, that's the sure. only thing about having a successful film that turns into a franchise is then you get a little bit hooked to your franchise. So we spend a lot of time like lamenting the films that were not made by great filmmakers. Um, but Knives Out 2 and 3 sounds like a lot of fun. So I hope that's a great trilogy. I'm happy that he got a vacation. I'm happy that he got a lot of money, hopefully, to make the other films mentioned. Can I just say to whoever takes over for Ryan Johnson and and makes Knives Out 7, mm-hmm. which I'll watch no matter yeah. what, but so. like I, I do not need the backstory of Benoit Blanc, which is the character that Daniel Craig plays. I don't need you to give me like an origin trauma story for this director. We don't need to serialize. I mean, for this detective, we don't need to serialize it. Let him show up and solve ridiculous crimes in a ridiculous accent and then go home. So you're saying don't don't skyfall Benoit Blanc? Okay, don't you don't have to be rude about it. Well, think it. about Skyfall what you're saying. Really good. No, but but yes, basically I am. Okay. Um, at least until that was movie 30, right? Yes, but it was movie was it movie 2? No, it was movie 3 for Craig. Right. Okay. So I don't I don't know. Craig, he's pretty good at revealing the inner turmoil of mysterious sure, men. But respectfully, we're not really investigating, you know, England and empire and post-war identity and like mothers and, and what have you in Knives Out. We're solving like murders, Aren't mostly we? by rich people. Aren't we though? I, I'm Isn't okay it all with about it. mothers? You know, that's what I'm, that's I'm, what okay. I'm thinking oh these days. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> right now. I'm keeping it low stakes. I'm okay, okay with some things being low stakes is what okay. I'm saying. Here's my version of high stakes. Number six, okay. The Killer. Yeah. Directed by David Fincher, starring Michael Fassbender. Theoretically, a movie about a killer. I think based on the title, that's all I can surmise. Uh, this movie does not have a release date. I don't know if it will be a 2022 movie. I'm praying to God it is a 2022 movie. Um, David Fincher is making a movie about a killer, starring mm-hmm. one of our favorite actors. It's for Netflix, that's all the information I have. Yeah. I, I will be lined up on my couch the day it is released. I will go to as many screenings of it as I can. I'm so eagerly anticipating this movie. I have it on number six on my list only because I just don't know if it's going to come out this year. Right. Um, I think if it was, if it had a release date locked onto it, it would be number one. Um, maybe number two behind my number one, but it's right there near the top because of how much I dig what Fincher does. 
we'll see. I mean, another movie that I don't want anything spoiled for me, but also I will read everything ever written about it, and I will watch every YouTube analysis of the strategies that he deployed to make this movie. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm really, really, really excited about the fact that he is making a movie like this. Can you imagine how fucked up this movie could be? I. It's like I yearn, it's Fassbender, who yes. is one of my favorite actors, but like, and I, and I mean this as a compliment, like has access to the darkness, you know, oh, truly. Um, I, and Fincher and a killer. I wow. Okay, it will be uncomfortable, but also I'm like so uncomfortable that I'm excited. I yearn for the perversion. That's where yeah. I'm at with all Fincher material, and you know, Fassbender has not worked a lot in the last few years. That's has right not- because he's been a at like an F1 racer, I think. I think he's been a has he been a father to a daughter as well? I feel like he's he and Alicia Vikander have been he, raising a child. They are. I, it's not confirmed whether he's a girl dad or okay. a boy dad. Okay. Um, Interesting. They've managed to, to to hide that. They hid it for almost a year and and finally were, I believe, you know, paparazzi photographed on one of Alicia Vikander's sets of but and then there are a lot of photos of Michael Fassbender like pushing a stroller around like very happily, which is very sweet. But but I don't know whether he is like embraced girl dad as a lifestyle. I'd like to respect his privacy in that respect. And sure. and uh, also, I'm glad he's back in movies. You know, Alicia Vikander underrated, I thought, in, in 2021. She's just so good in The Green Knight. She had two different parts in The Green Knight. Yeah. And I thought she was very effective in that movie. I hope she comes back to making a lot of movies again. I, I miss her in movies. Okay. What's your number five? It's called The Eternal Daughter. It's mm. written and directed by Joanna Hogg. And once again, Tilda Swinton is is in this film. And I think that this was like a secret. We made this movie in the pandemic. And it was shot in Wales. And there's something about a ghost. And I don't really care. If Joanna Hogg and Tilda Swinton just like got together and made a movie during the pandemic, I'm interested. Uh, me too. I really love Joanna Hogg's films. She mentioned this very briefly when we spoke over in the fall. And uh, she seems very excited about it. And I believe it is not quite the same right. autobiographical text that the right. last couple of Souvenir movies were. Souvenir Part 2, did it get enough love? I don't think so. Also, I was very distressed to see Mark Ronson, the uh, you know music producer and person who I admire very much, tweeting about whether asking whether he should watch Souvenir Part 1 before he saw Souvenir Part 2. Mark Rodson, yes. That's iconic. Please watch. Please watch both of them. They're very good together. And I do think you have time. That is is elite. Yeah. Is is Mark Rodson smart? He's smart. He is smart. We like his work. but And I just need him to watch both of them. I think he'll like both of them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My number five is a movie that's come up on the show in the past. It's been a few years since it came up. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And I would say that this is the trailer phenomenon of 2022 thus far. It's a movie directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who are known as Daniels. They are the filmmakers who made Swiss Army Man. And uh, I interviewed Scheinert a couple of years ago for a movie that he wrote and directed called The Death of Dick Long. And he pitched this movie to me on the pod. And I thought he was punking me <laughs> when he was describing it. I think I literally was like, what do you, that, that's not real, is it? Because he's 
you know, a, he has a comic persona, I would sure. say. Uh, it's a science fiction movie. It's a multiversal movie. And it's a movie that's, that stars Michelle Yeoh. And the trailer puts Doctor Strange to shame, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought about putting Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness on my list. And then I was like, how, how could I possibly do that no. with this movie coming? So in addition to Michelle Yeoh, uh, Harry Shum Jr., uh, James Hong, the great James Hong um, from Big Trouble in Little China, Jamie Lee Curtis, a number of other people appear in this film. Um, I, it's another movie that I don't want spoiled for me too much, but it's a science fiction story about uh, identity over time. And it spans, it seems like it spans centuries. And these are two, two of the most creative filmmakers on the planet, two people who are really trying to push the limits of what a conventional feature film format can be. It's premiering at the South by Southwest Film Festival on March 11th, and then it's coming out March 25th. So 10 weeks, pretty soon. Pretty excited. This is one of those where I really enjoyed the trailer and I was also like, oh, do I have already seen too much? Maybe I just want to go in cold, which that's an unwinnable situation, right? It is. Promote the movies and you do need to have a trailer with this level of excitement, but I I don't want to know anymore. This trailer's got 5 million views on YouTube already, which is a lot for a movie starring Michelle Yeoh about uh, the multiverse from A24. There's going to be some interest in it, which is pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked on this one. Okay. What do you got? Number four. Number four, we've talked about it before, but I just wanted to give it some extra space since none of you have been able to see it. It's The Worst Person in the World, which was my favorite movie of last year. Sean's number two. It did technically come out last year, but it's being released by Neon in February, um, directed by Joachim Trier, uh, just the Norwegian, yes, Norwegian Francis Ha. And I just can't wait for everyone to be able to see it. So this is just a reminder to please go see this film. I hope this strategy by Nian works and people do show up to see it. I do worry that they missed the window a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have a long conversation with you about it on the show. I just don't know if we're ever going to get to a moment where enough people have checked it out right. until it goes to Hulu or whatever Neon's output deal is. But high, highest possible recommendation. Definitely, clearly one of the best movies of the last year and a really interesting final chapter in the Oslo trilogy that... Um, that Trier has been working on since, gosh, way back in like, I think 2008 is when those films started. So great pick. Uh, Okay, my number four, you alluded to it earlier, Noah Baumbach's White Noise. This is an adaptation of the Don DeLillo novel, one of my favorite novels of all time. Um, This is a film that, in a surprising bit of casting, is bringing in uh, Adam Driver to play Professor Jack Gladney. I will say that I've read White Noise twice and... um, I don't think I ever really thought of a driver-esque figure as Jack Gladney, uh, nor did I necessarily think of Greta Gerwig as Babette Gladney. Uh, I definitely thought of both of these characters as significantly older. Mm-hmm. And then I think about it and I'm like, okay, well, Greta Gerwig is 38 and Adam Driver is 38 and I'm 39. And are the characters in White Noise my age? Yeah, it's it's upsetting when you catch up to the fictional characters that you read as a young person. Had this experience recently with old Sex in the City episodes. Very different uh, setting, but same thing. I was like, oh, God, they're younger than me now. That's pretty terrifying. The last time I can remember a moment like this is when I started realizing that the athletes that I loved on uh-huh. the teams that I root for were significantly younger than me. You know, yes. were like six, seven, nine, ten years younger than me. And I was like, okay, my relationship emotionally to this has to change a little bit, at least, because I'm now mad at kids. <laughs> and I'm not a kid anymore. And right, this is a yeah. little different, but it's not that different from that kind of 
cultural relationship that you have to certain movies and stories. You know, this is a very complex uh, book about um, a professor of Hitler studies who goes on a trip with his uh, four kids and is sort of like attacked in a way by this airborne toxic event. There's sort of like a cloud of terror that hovers over them in the world. And it's a very scary book in a way. It's a very elusive book. It's a book that is really about your imagination and the kind of like anxiety that is wrought through middle age. So this sounds like a big swing for, for Noah. You know, yeah. Noah, Noah makes movies that are, tend to be fairly domesticated and localized. And this one is in a way, but it's also pretty big in terms of its reach. And also we're living through a freaking pandemic. And so it's quite a time to be telling white noise on screen. I don't think that this can go totally wrong because I trust everyone involved, but it's definitely everyone's taking a risk. Everyone is outside their comfort zone. So I'm very curious about it. I mean, you say Noah Baumbach, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, like sign me up no matter what. But it is I'm 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 curious. It should be interesting. Uh, I'm very curious as well. Uh, That's also a Netflix movie. No, no release date at the moment. Okay, what's your number three? My number three is She Said, which is the adaptation of the nonfiction book by Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, um, who broke the Harvey Weinstein scandal for the New York Times and wrote what I thought was an extremely compelling book um, about that experience, but like really honestly about investigative journalism. I, I just mm. really recommend it. Um, and it is being made into a movie starring Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Um, directed by Maria Schrader, who did Unorthodox, which is a Netflix miniseries that I haven't seen, but a lot of people really love. I watched but, it. It was very well made. Yeah. And this is this is another Plan B project. And as you said, I like really, I trust their taste. And I, like you, really love journalism films. And I also think that this is very interesting source material and very curious how they take on all of the aspects of the movie industry within a movie itself. You know, it could always go wrong, but I like everyone involved and I am, I'm excited. If it's like all the president's men ask, great. It feels like, it feels like the kind of movie that we say they don't make movies like this anymore. Exactly. So it, it, it it's exciting that it's happening and it just like an, an adult drama about true life events um, with some narrative propulsion and some great performances right. is exciting. You know, Maria Schrader, um, made a film last year, which I still have not seen yet. It's called I'm Your Man. It stars Dan Stevens. It's a German film um, that has actually been shortlisted for Best International Feature. There's a decent chance it gets in. So I think at some point you and I are going to have to watch this movie. Um, It's available on VOD. I just, for whatever reason, have not gotten around to it. It's and it's Dan Stevens performing in German um, as a as a as a robot, actually. Um, I think he's like, I think he's a pleasure robot. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, But so she's coming off of a successful project and is, you know, she was an actress for many years and has very been considered a filmmaker to watch for a little while. So this is a big, big effort for her. Okay. My number three is the Northman directed by Robert Eggers, mm-hmm. director of the lighthouse director of the witch. One of my favorite living filmmakers. This is his biggest movie yet by far. It is a Viking saga starring Alexander Skarsgård with the best trailer of 2022, 2021. Um, You know, I I already shared a hark on this. I don't need to scream and yell. I just think this movie is going to kick ass and is also going to be, it's also going to let down a certain brand of movie fan that is expecting all-out warfare 
for two hours because Robert Eggers makes very unusual, very historically accurate, very often slow and odd films. The Lighthouse is a very odd film. It is extremely effective and brilliantly made, but it is not Mad Max Fury Road. And so I think I just want to caveat that here mm-hmm. and say, and I, I don't even know if you'll ever watch this movie, Amanda, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, when Chris and I sit down to watch it, uh, we're going to be prepared for something off kilter, despite its hardcore action seeming circumstances. Right. Do you think that this is one where people got really jacked for the trailer and then they're going to sit down and watch Robert Eggers movie and be like, wait, what's going on? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah. think that that's in play. Not okay. for me. Not, not for, for me. you. You'll love it. I'm 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 very very excited. You know, yeah. I think it was Adam Neiman who pointed out that um, Eggers has a lot to live up to if he's going to match Nicholas Winding Refn's Valhalla Rising, the Mads Mikkelsen Viking movie, which is incredibly violent and incredibly strange. That sounds like a killer double feature. We should program that at the the Sean and Amanda movie theater. Okay. Would that you come out great. for that scre- that double screening? <laughs> sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for supporting me. Just as long as I have bathroom access, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> okay. What's your number two? Uh, my, which is the Bradley Cooper, Leonard Bernstein movie. Um, I hope this comes out this year. This is undated. I mean, it's been in the works forever and I'm fascinated to see what Bradley Cooper does with the life of Leonard Bernstein. One of the, um, like most important figures in American music and classical music in the last hundred years. Um, this story is apparently centered around his marriage which I, I think was also colorful as I would understand it. And maybe it was not the total, uh, maybe there were things going on outside his marriage and Leonard Bernstein's personal life. We'll put it that way. But uh, his wife is going to be played by Carrie Mulligan, who I love. Jeremy Strong also in this one as a biographer, which uh, is always a great framing device in my opinion. And I just, A Star is Born was really good. A Star is Born was really good. And I do sort of trust Bradley Cooper to figure some things out, um, especially in a music film, or at least I want to see him try. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm fascinated by Bradley's journey as a filmmaker and his desire to, um, to render great men, you know, like that is something that is really important to him. So I'm, I'm excited about it as well. Four Netflix movies on our list. Pretty good. I think that's the most out of any studio that we've got here. My number two is a movie called Nope. Comes to us from Jordan Peele. The great Jordan Peele, who's made two movies himself, Us and Get Out. I don't know anything about this movie other than Daniel Kaluuya's in it and Kiki Palmer's in it. And speaking of clouds, I think in the poster, there's a giant cloud hanging over a town, not unlike the giant cloud hanging over the town in White Noise. Um, I expect a kind of horror thriller in the vein of the previous two films that Jordan Peele has made. Jordan Peele, like Damien Chazelle, is one of those directors who is under 45, who when he makes a movie, it is an event. Um, is Jordan Peele under 45? Let's, let, me, let me cross-check that. He might be right in that zone. Jordan Peele is 42 years old. Shout oh, out to him. That's good. That makes me feel a lot worse about my accomplishments in life. No, um, I think it's always <laughs> nice when there's, people are a few years older. You know, Beyonce is always going to be a few years older than me, and, I, and she's still thriving. So yeah. like, if Beyonce can do it, I can, I can do something. Um, that's a lot to live up to, Beyonce. <laughs> I, don't, I find it comforting. I'm just like, it's okay. okay. Some some people still matter, even as even as they age. Uh, nope, will be a sensation. Nope is also yeah. a. Uh, this is like in the zone for 
for a birthday movie for me and you, July 15th. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, you know, this could be, you know, big noisy what dinner afterwards. What else did you propose? Um, let me pull up my spreadsheet. Hang on one second. It was weird. I think I like no better than whatever you suggested. Oh, well, well July 29th this year is um, Black Adam starring Dwayne Johnson. Right. The Rock. <laughs> Absolutely no? not. Are you not interested in that? No, it's directed by Yom Colette Sarah, the filmmaker yeah, behind sure. Jungle Cruise. Sure, your milestone birthday, you can see that one by yourself. <laughs> Could you imagine if I spent my 40th birthday alone watching Black Adam? I probably yes, will do. I, I, can. I, I honestly probably will do that. I, what, so what have I become? It's so sad. Black Adam is not on my list. Uh, there's not. I don't see any other strong candidates there. I mean, Bullet Train is also coming out on July 15th, a movie that right. did not make my list. It's an honorable mention, but the new Brad Pitt action thriller sure. from David Leach that could be up there. July 15th is going to rock. That's going to okay. be dope. Bullet Train and Nope on the same day. I'm I'm excited. I'm fired up. Uh, okay. What's your number one? Okay. Oh, just we're going to do a lot here. So I, I think this is the third year running. And Bobby, if you'd like to cue in the music anytime, you should feel free. But this is the third year running that I've had Top Gun 2 on my most anticipated movies of 2022 list. It has to be, right? Because it was supposed to come out in 2020. Was it yeah. not? Yeah. I remember us being in that in one of the studios on the Sunset Gower lot, like the one without any windows. You remember that one? Yes. Um, I'm doing this list and me asking Bobby to play the song the first time. January 17th, 2020. What's your next movie? Speaking of just giving in to movies, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to have fun at the movies. It's the summer. Most Tom effective Cruise. trailer I've seen in a Miles year. Miles Teller, Glenn Powell. Great. Play the music really loud. Bobby, you just like play the theme song really loud right now for 10 seconds. And that's all I have to say about this movie. That was pre-pandemic. Then last year I begged. January 7th, 2021. Okay, mm-hmm. what's next on your list? What is next on my list? Oh, yeah, we already talked about this. Can we just, let's just play the theme song. Let's just play the theme song very loudly, and then I will just speak here about how I am looking forward to Top Gun Maverick. And I enjoy very well. Then there was like a cruel moment this summer where I thought I was going to see it. And can I Can I just, can, can we be really real right now? Yeah, let's be really real. So the biggest obstacle in my day-to-day life right now the biggest thing confronting me in my domestic life Mm -hmm. is that my husband has seen this movie and i have not like zach is that really the biggest obstacle well there are two yeah this is (laughs) 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 guys good time to mention i forgot that i was gonna do this um but it is still even though as sean alluded to and as many of you suspected i am having a baby very soon which is very exciting (laughs) yes yes this is exactly how I wanted to share this with people uh, in the <laughs> middle of like me begging to see Top Gun 2. Um, yeah, I am. Very soon, the doctor says, and I'm very excited and everything's good. Um, and thank you to everyone who's been so kind. And also, this is a way of saying I might not be on all the podcasts for all of the movies we just <laughs> talked about. <laughs> Maybe none of them. Who knows? Well, but here's the thing. I need to be on the Top Gun 2 podcast. Okay. And... I need Paramount to help me out. This is just like, this is me standing up and saying, I am just one woman growing another human desperate to see this movie. (laughs) And you guys let my husband see it last summer. And 
Okay. Let's be very real. My husband was invited because he also works in the industry and he works for GQ and and people get to see movies at different times because production schedules are on different times and everyone's doing their job and it's great. But I really needed to see Top Gun 2 last summer. I had a very difficult first trimester and I begged Zach to take me along and he tried so hard and he was denied. And and I like cried harder than I've ever cried because once again, I was really pregnant and sick. And I was just like, I've been throwing up for two months. Can you please just get me into this movie? And it didn't happen. And now I'm nervous it's going to happen again. And I'm not going to be able to see Top Gun 2, the only movie I care about. So Paramount, if you are listening, Tom Cruise, if you are listening, please, please let me see your movie this year. It's been a three-year journey. All I want is to see this movie. This is this is just unbelievable. What a what a collision of the the personal and the professional for you. Um, I just I just am like a really pregnant lady who wants to see people <laughs> flying jets really fast. Like I don't know what else to say at this point. Please I believe help. in you. First of all, I promise you, I promise you that me and Bobby and Chris Ryan will not record a six hour podcast without you about okay, this movie. I thank promise you. you. But we I don't know how do I'm gonna that. see it because then there's gonna be this person. And that I have to take care of. Yeah. You, Zach's got to watch this freaking baby. So you I know, can that's see true. He has seen it already. I guess we've divided childcare responsibilities. Enough. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Just, okay. He can have an afternoon with the baby by himself. Trust me, I've done it. It's fucking hard. So he better buckle up. But like, can you imagine being Zach being like, sorry, I have to go see Top Gun 2 by myself and leaving just like a weeping woman at home being like, no, I mean, all you, I wanted was to see Glenn Powell. You just described like every Tuesday night for me when I go to a screening. <laughs> and is like, are you serious? Seriously leaving again? Are you seriously going out again, again, Sean? So I can relate. It's tough. I, not nothing on the, on the order of magnitude of Top Gun Maverick. Obviously, that's an, that yeah. is tru- truly an event. I hope they release this movie. Who the fuck knows, man? There's a million things going on right now. You know, it, Paramount is one of those companies that every six weeks somebody's like, "Is this company going to be sold? Is this company going to be part of a new conglomeration?" I'm, I'm so upset. We also don't have Mission Impossible. Is also I know, supposed to I know. come out. Well, I thought when you when you earmarked this, we would kind of. And MI7 to it as well. Because, yeah. I mean, to me, for me personally, I'm much more excited about the new Mission Impossible than Top Gun Maverick. I'll be honest, I, I am not a huge Top Gun person. I don't hate it. I obviously like it's it a lot. It's not the time to share that with me, okay. Sean. We need to focus on <laughs> but, getting me into seeing Top Gun 2. That's your only goal for this year, okay? Okay. okay. I have two goals, you have one. What, <laughs> well, what's the. Well, like, what is the concern here? That they're not actually going to like have a screening for it? That they're going to push the yeah, release date to 2023? Very- or. All of the above. Okay. okay. That, that, and somehow I'll miss the screening because okay. I don't have, you know, my childcare set up and then it'll get bumped. That's what happened. Zach went to see it and then they were like, no, no, we're not releasing this movie for another year. It, it is. Is it important that you see it before people or just that you see it? Well, I don't want to be the last person to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, also, I think they're really missing out on a major asset, which is me being psyched about this movie. This is another is thing. Is that a major asset? Me being excited about something? Yes. It doesn't okay. happen that often, well, as you know. That's, that's and, well, that's certainly true. And and I when I would be, and also the risk they took letting my husband see it by himself. My husband, who famously went to see Creed and was like, nah, not that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just dragging him here. You know what? No, it's you, okay. You're he's gonna been be really... parenting a child together. He's been really wonderful. You have I'm to be ex- on the same team. This he, is important. We're very excited, and I'm very excited to have a kid with him. And I just, if we could resolve the Top Gun 2 issue okay. before this kid shows up, 
I think that would really help everyone. I've been I've been telling you this for months and months, but congratulations. This is thank just you. so exciting. It is. Thank you. It is. I, I love that that is actually how I made this announcement, but um, we're thrilled. We, went, we were very excited and I sort of can't believe what's happening because it's a walking physics experiment at this point, but um, <laughs> it's really exciting and I will miss everyone. We're going to try to bank some episodes and I will yes. try to come back when I can, but I'm lucky enough to be offered leave and and I will be taking it. So. So thank you to everybody. And thank you to you, Sean. I am excited to join Girl Dad Club. <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a it's an unusual team. I'm excited for you to join as well. We'll have a lot more to bond over on this pod in the future yeah. as well. So you'll definitely be back and hopefully very, very soon. Um it's pretty weird for me to now share a number one movie after you sharing <laughs> this world-shaking news I, that is I mean, completely changing sort of your forgot, life. But this is that's how it should go. That's honestly how like go. how we should share it with the world. Um from from your new child to my father, Martin Scorsese. We're going Killers of the Flower Moon is yeah. my number one movie. I'll, also a movie I'm not totally sure is coming out in 2022, but it feels like it's going to. This movie stars Jesse Plemons and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's based on the incredible David Grand book, and it's being made by Apple. And it's apparently $275 million worth of movie or some crazy number like that, which sounds like a lot for a movie about um, Oklahoma in the 19th century, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll see. Um, it's a you know it's a very complicated kind of true crime slash uh, historical genocidal you know U.S. government tale about um, the native peoples living in Oklahoma at the time, sort of something that they were promised and something that is taken away from them. And it's a very very dramatic story, life and death, kind of a high stakes tale. Um, and it's Martin Scorsese making a period piece with Leo. So sign me this up. This also would have been on my list, uh, but you took it away from me. And my child. So we just had to talk about Top Gun 2 instead. You should refer to everything as me and my child going forward. <laughs> it's clearly what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more than more than you know. Yeah. Uh, th- those are our lists. And that's Amanda's big news. What? Do, how many people do you think just like tuned out like in the last 10 minutes of the pod and then you're going to disappear well, gonna for a couple out, months right? and then what happens? And, you know, and, and we're going to find out. And I'm excited to know who actually listens to the end of the big picture. That's sort of a fun one. It's a big let, test. Let me also just say like a lot of people have already like sort of guessed it's it. Sussed been it very, out. And been so kind. It's really nice. It's a very nice thing to share with people. And if there's anyone who I know in my life who I forgot to tell you, I'm really sorry. that. The, but also. Tough way to find out. Listening to the pod. I haven't been great. I haven't really known how to tell people. I wasn't going to do an Instagram post, you know? Yeah. Like I, I tried to avoid all that stuff too, to the point where like I, I, I vanished from the show for a little sure, while and didn't yeah, explain yeah, yeah. what the hell happened. Um, yeah. But it's you also know like, it, I just still kind of feel like I'm in a 90210 episode, you know? Like there's no way to say like I'm pregnant without just being like, oh no, what are we going to do? Don't tell mom and dad. Uh, but <laughs> so this pregnancy feels like a teen I'm pregnancy. To, I'm about to be mom and dad. So I'm, I'm working through it in real time. It's a process. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very happy for both of you guys. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for movies and all the movies your child is going to get to see with you. Right? Yes. Think about at home. That. This is the other thing. Please just show me movies at home. I'm going to be stuck and pretty bored. So thank you to all the studios. Well, Amanda, thank you. This was fun. Thank you to our producer, Bobby Wagner. Thank you to Amanda's unborn child for all their work on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> tune in next week when we will finally uh, the, do, be doing the much-promised Licorice Pizza episode. Yeah. We're, we're actually going to dive deep. I wanted to give people an extra week to see this movie in movie theaters because Spider-Man has been running rampant throughout the theatrical experience. So if you really want to hear us go deep on Licorice Pizza, me, Amanda, Chris Ryan, Wozni Lambray, we're doing it next week on The Big Picture. Go check the film out and listen to the episode. We will see you then. 